hear the voice. Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry Podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. So I want to talk to you today about families save lives. Families save lives. I want to open up with an article. It's called The Breakdown of Family Relationships by Rick Renner. He said, because most homes own multiple cars today, everyone often travels separately. Following their various busy schedules, as a result, few families sit down to eat a meal together. And even if they do it, It is rarely cooked at home, but usually eaten at a restaurant. Families don't even watch television together anymore because they have so many televisions in their houses, they can all be at home, yet not together, watching different programs in different parts of the house. Unfortunately, many families don't even attend the same church. Now, he's talking about American families, okay? Some of this may be here, but some of it may not apply as much, but... I think you'll understand what he's communicating in a moment. The truth is, if families are going to spend time together today, it usually won't happen unless they cancel something else in their schedule to make it happen. The day of families spending large amounts of time together has almost vanished in our modern day world. But according to the signposts that Paul lists in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the deterioration of close families and marriages are developments that will occur in the last days. Uh, Well, Paul goes on to say that society will be without natural affection. The words without natural affection are translated in the Greek as astorgos from the word storgos but with an a affixed to the front of the word which reverses the definition of storgos so what does storgos mean in the greek it describes a devotion to one's own family as an instinctive commitment to one's family But when it is fixed to the front of the word, it describes a lack of devotion or commitment to one's family. How many of you know we can all be in the same house and still not be a family? In other words, it pictures a disjointed family that has lost the closeness it once possessed. The word astorgos that Paul used in this verse could be translated unloving. But with reference to an unloving, non-nurturing, uncaring family environment. See, family is not just because we're the same blood. I actually have people who aren't of my blood that I'm closer to than my own family. 
And it's not because I don't love them less or more. It's because I spend more time with them. I see them. And, and, you know, we communicate more. I still communicate a lot with my family in the States. And we're very close despite the distance. But the fact of the matter is, we can all be in the same room, the same house, the same barangay, the same city, and not be nurturing each other. Not a lot of amens. The traditional family relationships that once existed in abundance are threatened today by schedules, multiple jobs, and one home, financial pressure, divorce, or annulment here, kids living with separate parents, multiple cars that help to create separate paths of each family member's life, multiple televisions, and so on. Parents go in one direction, the children go in another direction. And very often, dad and mom don't go in the same direction. Thus, the family resides in one house together, but they don't share life together. And most often, they don't even share a meal together unless they schedule it into their week. Sociologists say this troubling trend has contributed to rebellion in children who feel neglected or unwanted. Attention disorders in children who are rushed from one place to the next or who spend time watching television, let's say phones, right? instead of enjoying time with their parents and siblings, and marital relationships deteriorating as a result of life moving so fast that husband and wife don't take time to connect and share their hearts and lives in a meaningful way. This problem today is epidemic. Ask any school teacher about the state of children today, and teachers everywhere will verify that the family is in serious trouble. This is one of the signposts that we have entered the last days. When I read that, I was really broken because, you know, my parents divorced probably when I was about seven, eight years old. And I would go visit my dad on weekends with my brother Louis, who's four years younger than me. And it was very hard to not see our dad throughout the week. And then my mom married my stepfather, Jim, who was a wonderful man. And he went to be with the Lord in 2016. But my family was not saved when all of this was going on. We didn't go to church. We didn't know anything about God. And then when I was 14, we had a Presbyterian pastor who was baptized in the Holy Spirit knock on the door of our house every week for one year. And when he came in, Everything broke loose in our house. Because, you know, when you, when you leave the bees alone and you don't mess with their nest, right? They're not going to bother you. But when you go in there and say, excuse me, <laughs> they're going to come out in droves trying to sting you and get rid of you. And there's a lot of stuff that's in people that doesn't come out until you touch their lives. It's easy to hand somebody a track. It's another thing to get involved with their life. And when you start getting to know people's names and you see them week after week, it's easy to evangelize somebody that you will never see again. But when you have to evangelize somebody 
that you get to know more and more and more and they're still not surrendered their life to Jesus, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And to me, we need to become more reliant upon our relationship with the Lord so we don't just talk to people from here, we talk to them from here. I want to read a scripture verse to you that really changed mine and Casey's lives many years ago. Our team, our family, and everything we do in ministry. It's Psalm 68, verses 5 through 6. And it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And I would also say in the expanded version of the Bible, that includes orphans. Is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary or the lonely. When you think of solitary, what do you think of? Somebody in jail, right? Somebody who's in solitary confinement. They're such a, a bad individual, they have to be separated from all the other prisoners. But you can be so lonely sometimes that maybe it isn't because of a crime that you committed, but because you have believed, you know, or you have seen modeled before you a way of family life that should not be the way that you saw it. And unfortunately, we reap what we sow. And until we surrender our lives to Jesus, until men and women surrender themselves to Jesus and learn how to grow as one, our children are not going to grow up just, it's, it's not important for them to just grow up with information and say, I went to church. There needs to be such a change in your heart and mind that after we encounter the Lord, the way that we treat one another is different. The way that we honor one another above ourselves is different. I'm not just saying to have a good marriage so you could say, oh yeah, we're making money, we have a nice house, our family is everything going great. God has abundantly blessed us. How do you know God has abundantly blessed you if you don't walk with Him? Just because you have stuff doesn't mean that God's hand is on your life. I mean... Praise God, you thank Him for whatever you have. But that does not exclude your responsibility to have an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. So from this scripture, there are several things that we can conclude. First of all, God reveals Himself and wants to be known as our Father who's in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said? When you pray, pray like this. Our CEO and president of Heaven Incorporated. No. Our celebrity in heaven. No. No. Not even Alpha and Omega who's in heaven. Of course it's a name of God. And I don't care if you want to refer to God with different names. But God reveals himself as Father. Next, God is a father who fights to provide for women and children. Men, you need to listen up. If you're willing to take the time to go be with that young lady in secret, and you're not willing to be responsible for that relationship and with those children, 
that will come from those encounters, then you are not a man. Thank you for the three amens I got. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be a man of God, it's not because you can preach on Sunday morning. If you want to be a man of God, it's how you treat your spouse and your children when nobody's looking. And I want to tell you, if you want to get married just to sleep with somebody, that's not a good reason. You know, some people take what Paul talks about in Corinthians and say, Oh, if you messed up because you're dating and you're intimate, go ahead and get married because you're burning with lust. Well, wait a minute. Don't just come to that conclusion. You know what you probably need to do? Is be separated. <laughs> and learn how to be holy. Learn how to walk with Jesus. Learn how to love her or love him in a way that God's designed love to be. So you stop perverting love to look like some idolatrous thing that God not, did not create it to be. Ooh. That's things? Good. God is a father whose house or habitation is holy. Now I'm talking to everybody, but I'm specifically talking to the men. Is your house holy? Is your, or do you fight to make sure that your house is a habitation of the holiness of God? You know, Scripture tells us that without holiness... No man will see the Lord. So if you don't have a habitation of holiness at home, and then you come to church on Sunday and you're lifting your hands, praise God, right? Maybe you don't lift your hands because you're too ashamed of how you know you live the rest of the week. Friend, I want to tell you something. When I'm lifting my hands and she's singing to my favorite song that I've been singing for the last month today... I was crying this morning. She said, I thought you were going to cry. I said, I was. <laughs> Why? Because he's a good, good father to me. And I really don't deserve what I have. I'm going to tell you, I did not wait for my wife the way that I should have. And I had to repent to her. And I had to repent that after we were married, I was not a man of God the way that I should be at home for quite a number of years and I've had to repent to my children that it's taken me a little while to catch up because I didn't really know how to be a great father I'm talking about a, a, a biblical definition of what a father is I love my dad I love my stepfather Jim they were amazing people and my dad's still alive but I want to tell you that the greatest definition of what a father is, is our father who's in heaven. God is a father who accepts lonely people into your family. Thus the title of this message today, which is Families Save Lives. There are so many lonely people. I, I love when people get a passion to go share their faith with the lost. That's awesome. But that's not what Jesus asked us to do. Jesus called us to make disciples. When you make disciples, or when you evangelize people, it's easy to walk away and not feel a responsibility. 
But when you are focused on making disciples, you give your life to those people. I tell our fire school students, who I spend a majority of time discipling all the time, that you have access to us. Uh, and I say that to this church too. And I'm going to say it to these couples today. We've even, I even made packets last night of because of, we couldn't have a screen stuff. It's just not available where we're going to be. So I made packets for everybody last night. And in the back, I put our contact information. Okay, we're not those type of people, those type of leaders, and neither are your pastors here. That, that just want to preach to you on Sunday and then just be like, yep, just, just do what we say and you'll be great, but I don't got time for you. <laughs> do you. Do you know how much time these people give on a regular basis to meet with some of you? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to come Monday if you don't want to. It's your anniversary. I release you in Jesus' name. <laughs> but I know they're going to want to be there and so whatever they decide is fine. But I want to tell you, people like this who understand that God is their heavenly father and that the loneliest people in the world are people who don't know Jesus, they recognize that what it takes to win a soul to Christ is more than just saying what we want to say and walking away. It's actually opening your life. It's actually living it when nobody else is looking. It's actually making sure that Jesus, that God the Father is represented to your life and relationships. God the Father wants to disciple people out of bondage into prosperity. I like that. All this is from these two verses here. He wants to disciple people out of bondage. I want to tell you, when we used to go minister to the male prostitutes on Carino, we did that for two and a half years. One time, I had an old Pajero. And, and this vehicle, I picked up all these guys. I had 25 guys in my Pajero, all from that street. So I took them back to Jake Camas, right across from... Uh, People's Park. There's that corner um, store on the bottom and we had the upstairs. And so I picked them up and took them there and there was a bar at the bottom. And it was always full of people. And it was like, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. So I get out of my Pajero with 25 male prostitutes. So you see this white guy and 25 male prostitutes, you're thinking, what's going on here? And all these people are just staring at us. And I'm just smiling. Hey, you know, good to see you. Let's go to church quickly, <laughs> you know. So we go upstairs and we administer these guys, minister these guys. We had some of these guys steal from us. We had some, we invited some of these guys to live with us. People said, you shouldn't allow people like this to live with you. Because you don't know what they're going to do. Let me tell you, I'm not advocating that everybody has to do what we did or, or you pray about that. But my point is, is that your home, no matter how big or small it can be, can be used as a place to disciple people more than just a pulpit in a church building. And you need to be willing to open yourself up. Hey, God has gone to prepare a place for you for 2,000 years in heaven. 
We all want to go there because we know if he could make this world in six days and he says, I'm preparing a place for you for 2,000 years, just imagine what that place is going to look like. But if he's going to open his home, should not we open our lives and our homes to others? God is a father who cannot help those who choose to live rebellious. No matter what we've tried to do, there are people that we poured out our lives for that walked away and never communicate with us again. And just, or if they communicate with us, they want us to do something for them, but they're not willing to change their life. They're not willing to surrender to Jesus. And it breaks my heart because I can plant and water, but I can't make things grow. And there's going to have to be a choice on some people's lives that they say, you know what, I'm going to take this step of faith and separate myself from this world and from what I'm familiar with and give myself to Jesus. But I can't make that happen. So as men and women, we are created in the image of God. God initially reveals himself as father and not as mother because just as Adam and Eve just like Adam and Eve, woman came from man. However, women, mothers, clearly represent half of the image of who God is in Christ. The identity of a man and woman and a covenantal relationship together in Christ has the capability to fully represent the person of who God is to their children in society. Now, I believe we need the body of Christ to ultimately represent the fullness of who God is. But, I believe as parents, the fullness of who Jesus is lives in your life. And if we choose to walk in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we choose to live a surrendered life to Him, our children are going to have exactly what they need to grow and mature in the Lord. No doubt about it. And I believe in the value of community. We don't go to this church because we just need another place to preach. We go to this church because we value the people in it. And these people have poured into our kids. And our missions team and everybody. And, and you have been a witness. And so we want our kid. We are jealous for our kids to grow up and be nurtured. I'm jealous for these kids in Agdow and our feeding program that come here every week. I want them to know that whether their parents love the Lord or not, that they are absolutely loved and they can find a place of family and, and peace and joy in the Lord in this community. Amen? Amen. We want to be a community of believers that the lost can come to and say, man, I really love that church. And it's not just because of the music, even though the music is awesome. It's not just because of the preaching. It's not just because of the nice facility and they have meals and stuff like that. I want to go there because I see and I hear something in those people that is different. The reason the enemy attacks families so much is because he ultimately wants to attack what God the Father created and destroy what he loves. The enemy can never get to God. He, there's nothing he can do. He's, he's like an ant, and that's too big. 
in compared to the God of the universe who created all things. But he will do whatever he can to get at your life, to get you to fall into sin, to be in disagreement with your spouse, to treat your kids harshly, to be selfish, to be arrogant, to be prideful, so that you can, not realizing what you're doing, actually be lifting your fist to God and say, I don't need you. That's what happens when we sin. We don't think of sin the way that God thinks of sin or else we wouldn't sin. But the more that you spend time with Jesus and you realize how much he loves you and the horrible thing that he had to go through on the cross and being separated from his father and how he can heal and restore your life, I promise you it's going to cause you to turn around and say, I'm a new creation in Christ. I may not feel different. I may still struggle with thoughts. I may occasionally slip with my tongue. I may not do the right things all the time. But I have an advocate with the Father. And I can produce the fruit of a repentant life. And I can go to God because I have access to Him. And the more convinced you are of that, it will change the way that you live your life. One of the greatest things I heard at the Brownsville Revival was when they were worshiping. I remember Lendl Cooley and, you know, just talking one day. And he says, you know, when you worship, do you sing to God or do you sing about God? And I love that. And we've probably all heard that before because it's become a very popular thing to say. But when I come here on Sundays, I'm not just singing because I'm excited that you're singing my favorite song. No, I'm actually worshiping Jesus in secret and I'm carrying over when I come to church on Sunday and I say, oh God, this is the same thing that we've been doing together this past week, this past month, and it's so wonderful to worship you. I love you, Jesus. Listen, I don't even care what type of songs we sing. If we're singing to God, that's all we need to do. Thank you, Lord. Oftentimes in Scripture, when God is speaking to men or mankind, He is speaking to men and women. Christopher Nessie once said, When Adam was away, Eve was made prey. Now, I don't think that is... It's right to put all the blame on Eve, <laughs> okay? But I think Adam was missing his great calling and responsibility to watch over and protect his wife. I mean, they were living in perfection. And when something shows up that's not right like that snake, how many of you love snakes? No, not very many. What's the first intuition you normally have when you see a snake? You must die. Yeah. I remember my brother and I were at my mom's house in the state of Delaware. We were cleaning out this garage and I'm looking, there's a window. It's just a small building like from that, you know, from this uh, pillar to where I'm standing. And there's a window there and I saw something move in the window. And I look over, I don't see anything. But I was convinced there's something walking around, Maria. I know Maria loves snakes. So I go over there, and we see this black snake. And it's not poisonous, 
but it's just a big, long, black snake. It was probably about that big around. That's a big snake uh, in the States. I mean, here, it, you know, that's like a worm, you know, <laughs> the snakes that are around here. And, and so my brother and I are like, man, there's a snake over there. And my mom's running away, you know, to everybody was there, right? And, uh, and so we grab it by the tail and it had to be from head to like here about that tall. And we were holding it and it's trying to come up and, you know, give us a little kiss, you know. And we're holding it and we're like, whoa, you know, we're trying to be Steve Irwin, you know, the crocodile hunter guy, you know. But anyway, <laughs> no, when we see a snake, we want to kill it. And I'm thinking, Adam, if he had been paying attention to his wife, and what was going on in her life, he would have said, well, that ain't right. I named everything in this place. Why are you being a jerk to my wife right now? Right? But she became prey. She became susceptible to this deception. If we look at that situation, we understand that there's responsibilities we both have. So the big question is, how do families save lives? Well, I'm going to give you six points quickly. Should only take three hours. Number one, individually, we must be who God created us to be and not try to be anything else other than ourselves. Individually. So when you come to Jesus... And you see these super spiritual people, these super handsome spiritual people like Pastor Buddy. Right? You see this worship team, and you see Yanni just worshiping the Lord, and you're like, oh man, I wish I could worship like that. Right? She's so, she's, she's such a woman of God. Right? No, we look at people and we compare ourselves, right? When our goal should be to compare ourselves to God. Because we were created in His image. But when we look at people, we see things about their lives that represent the Lord. And so we say, I want to be like that person. And I don't think that that's bad. I think we should model for each other what maturity looks like. But individually... You were created in the image of God. And you have to learn how to not try to be anything else other than who God created you to be. And that's going to take some time. In fact, I would say it takes a lifetime. But don't, listen, don't be a 60-year-old man acting like a 13-year-old Christian. Grow up where you are. Take responsibility now. I don't know what it's like to be a grandpa, even though I get called grandpa around here all the time. But one day, I will be a grandfather. Lord, touch my kids. I will be a grandfather, and I will know exactly what it's like. But I have watched other men, and Casey's watched other ladies who are grandparents. 
people that we watch them raise their own children and now their children are having children and we're looking at them going we want to be like that amen don't set your standards so low go and hang out with the people that are like men and women that just are in love with Jesus they're they're like all stars for the kingdom <laughs> Go get around people. If you want, you know, I learned if I want to be a good basketball player, I got to go play with the best players. And I used to go to the park and I was the only white guy there. And there would be a hundred guys. Wait, I'm talking about New York. There would be a hundred guys waiting and Eric never got picked. Until I brought my friend Chris, who's six foot four black guy. And he says, you'll be on with me. Like nobody argued with Chris, okay? Because his arms were the size of my legs. <laughs> and so I get in the game, and then I'm standing there, and it's me and this like six foot five guy who's coming down dribbling the ball, and he sees I'm the white guy that he wants to embarrass right now. He literally jumped over me and dunked the ball. But you know what? I kept playing at that park and I got better and better and better. And I began to enjoy it more because I realized that it's not just about me knowing how to dribble or know how to pass or know how to shoot. You got to learn how to play in the game. You got to learn how to have somebody bump you and then you just keep playing and you don't lose your cool, right? This is what I'm talking about. As an individual, you, you can't just gain information. You have to get in the game. Nobody wants to sit on the bench. I don't like bench warmers in church. That's why I love that this church is praying. And when you pray, this passion for evangelism happens. And then souls get saved. And people say, wow, there's new people coming and things are changing and we're so excited. Well, it doesn't happen by accident. It's because you see yourself individually as a unique person in God's kingdom. And you realize you have something to offer this world in Jesus Christ. Number two, as men, we must initiate. As women, you must nurture. I'm not saying women can't initiate. I'm not saying men can't nurture. But what I am saying, our primary role is to initiate. Now, if you, as a woman, went to your now husband and told him that you wanted to marry him and you got on one knee and say, would you marry me? That's unique. That's not normal. The normal is men go ask for that woman's hand in marriage. Right? I'm not condemning. I'm simply saying that men should initiate. Women should be pursued. Amen. Look, I know to my male friends who are single that you think you are the most handsome thing since sliced bread. <laughs> that when you walk around, you think the women are just going to fall out in the spirit and you just pick them up and say, you are the one I have chosen. <laughs> well, guess what? You need a little humble pie. Okay? The fact is, if you're interested in somebody, are you praying for her? 
Or do you just have in your mind, well, if I can win her over with this or with that, if I could take her on a date and, 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 and get her to really like me, well, I don't want my wife to dislike me. I want my wife to be in love with Jesus so she can learn how to love me. Vice versa. Right? Did Jesus pursue his bride or did his bride pursue him? He's the greatest initiator that there ever has been. Again, I'm not saying you can't let somebody know your your desire, your you know, interest in it, your intention and things like that. But listen, the more that men initiate, the stronger the families will be. See, I don't, I don't, when my wife says we need to replace the water on the dispenser, I don't look at her and say, woman, get behind me. I don't say to Hannah, Hannah, you need to get a little bit stronger. Go pick up that water bottle and put it up there. No, it's either me or David that do the work. In fact, my sons, no, if it's empty, you replace it. If you don't, I replace you. No. Because I'm too old now and I can't lift it anymore. No. <laughs> no. There's just some things. Look, and my wife and kids, they do laundry. They, they clean the house. There's so many things that they do on a regular basis. I do dishes sometimes. And I shared this before. Real men do laundry. I've seen Bobby Astorba. Let me tell you something. And if you are a fire school student and Bobby is doing your laundry, you need to pay him something. Because that guy will serve, 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 initiate, initiate, initiate. And then we wonder why God is blessing his life. I'm going to tell you, we have to be willing. You know, when you see... It, it's normal for most churches to have leaders that are women. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I want to tell you, sometimes women are doing jobs that men should be doing. They should. Men should be standing up being the lead worshiper. I'm not talking about the platform or leading. You should see that your wife, your children, the singles around you, these new people coming to church should see men of God worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. And when we were singing that first song, let me know the kisses of your mouth. Let me feel your embrace. Look, as a man, I'm thinking that's a little awkward right there. Right? Right? Or the, the song that used to be out there. Dance with me, oh lover of my soul. Sometimes it's a little stretching there. But I want to tell you something. Romance me. I'm like, whoa. Take it easy, brother. But hey, when you see... That who you're singing to is your heavenly father. And maybe you didn't have a good situation with your father growing up where he was a man after God's own heart. He didn't teach you how to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. My kids hear me singing 
am worshiping the Lord on a daily basis in my house. And I don't do that for show and I don't tell you that for show. I do it because I want my kids to be real. I don't want them to say, my mom, my dad were missionaries and they loved God and because of that, I don't got to do anything. No, I want them to know that what they hear up here on a Sunday morning is what they hear every single day in my room. Men, lead. Women, lead. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't expect the man to do certain things that you can do. I'm not saying we can't cross over and help each other. I'm simply saying when we start taking initiative, women will start taking initiative and will not you know, put pressure on them to have to become something that they're not designed to be. Amen. Number three, as families, our homes must be a habitation of where God's holiness is. You know, I talked about this before, but we have had so many people stay with us over the years. And I know we got a, we got a good size house. I, I, I get that. I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody. But I'm going to tell you, when Casey and I started, we had a two-bedroom apartment in the state of Delaware. And it was small, <laughs> you know? You can, like, get out of bed and you're in the bathroom, you know? <laughs> I mean, we, we actually had a room like that. When all five families lived together in one house before we came here, Casey and I had a bed... You get out of the bed, there is the washer and the dryer that everybody used. And behind the washer and dryer was our CR. The CR had to be no bigger, wider than from here to here. And the toilet, the front of the toilet would hit the wall in front of it. <laughs> so if you had to use that bathroom, we used to call it, <laughs> yeah, we called it the wailing wall. No, don't, 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 don't ask. Don't, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. The, so she'd be like this. Trying to make it happen, you know. You're like, oh my gosh, we're in church. We can't believe we're talking about these things. Look, friend, we're real. Amen? But I want to tell you, over the years, we've seen God bless and give opportunity. But any time the Lord's given us any place we've lived, we've always made sure we had a room for people to stay. Always. We would have our kids all shoved into one room when guests would come at times. That's what we do at Chris and Maria's. So originally, Zoo had her own room. And then Eric came along. And then Zoo was kicked downstairs. But now Zoo has a better room. And they call the room where we stay Eric's room. <laughs> but I mean, when you open up your house to people, to the family, to visitors, to uh, you know, missionaries, to people in need of some sort, I want to tell you, uh, and it's not only a place to stay, but open your table for people to eat at. I want to tell you, hospitality is such an overlooked gift. 
And, and when you see people who have that gift function, I'm telling you, it, it's real refreshing to us as missionaries when we go back to the States for three months and we're traveling every week or two weeks to a new place up and down the East Coast. And we stay with people. We don't like to stay in hotels if we don't have to. And we stay with people and those people are just hosts, so hospitable. It helps take some of the edge off. And I want people to see Jesus. I want people to experience God in every situation. Let me finish up. As families, we must invite lonely people into our lives. We have to. I know you're busy. I know your place might be small. I know you might not have a whole lot of money. But if we want to be blessed, then when we do the things that Jesus asked us to do, we might do them not realizing that sometimes we're, enter we're entertaining angels among us. We might not realize sometimes that when we're doing something to somebody we may even know, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Amen? Use what you have. I don't have that much, Eric. Okay, well, use what you have. Bless somebody. Do something that causes you to stretch your faith a little bit. Because I believe that God's going to increase and bless some of your lives so that as you learn how to do little by little, God will bring people to you that you will see how you can encourage and share the love of Jesus. Number five, as families, we must be willing to use our freedom to bless those in bondage. You know, there was a time, I may have shared this before, when we were ministering in Carino all the time, there was a young man who was deaf and he was mute. And he was selling his body on the street and he was not very tall. And he, one time, he didn't know sign language, so he, he would just kind of point with his hands and kind of grunt when he would talk to people, and he didn't have any way to communicate. And it was, it was so difficult to see that. And one time, I, I had heard that while he was on the straits, he was gang raped by several men. And it broke my heart. And so he and another guy were coming into our um, home. And they stayed with us for I don't know how long. It was a while. Several months maybe. Something like that. And they were coming to church. They were growing in the Lord and all these things. And his family situation was really bad. His dad was in prison. And he was out there on the streets trying to help his family. And I'm just like, Lord, how do we help this guy? So one time, he stole my, one of my credit cards, a debit card. And he went to Victoria Plaza, and he was standing at the machine. Now, he doesn't know the pin, or he has no idea how that works. And he's thinking, if I put this in, I'm going to get 100000 out, right? <laughs> and he's standing there, and there's a line behind him. And people are just, what's going on? There was no way to communicate with this guy or for me to know that he took that. I thought I just lost it. It's amazing how God can bring conviction to people because he loves them. 
So one of the former students at SLBC, who we used to share with Cherry Bing, um, was walking in Victoria Plaza, and she was much, very much involved in our community at the time. And she sees him at the ATM, and she goes, hey, bro. And she goes up there, and she goes, you know, can I help you? She's trying to express desire to help. And, and he's just kind of like this, because he knows he has my card. So she takes the card and looks at it, and she goes, and sees my name on the card. So she looks at him and goes, He's immediately convicted. And he goes and just walks away quickly. She brings it back to me. Well, there was another situation where he had, I think, stolen from somebody when we were in the Mr. DIY. We had all three floors. And the top floor was the church. And there was a dormitory on the second floor, I think it was. And... He had either stolen something or done something else wrong. And, you know, it's like we want to help people, but you can't have people around living in fear that somebody's always going to take their stuff. So I told him that he couldn't stay there anymore. And he got so upset, he runs upstairs, and there were windows like this on the top floor, and they were open. One of the other young men who was kind of the dorm leader there, his name is Ed, sir, pastors a church here in the city now. He ran up after this young guy, and this young guy was going to jump out the window, and literally Ed, sir, grabbed him in the air and pulled him down. Like he would have, he would have been killed jumping out. When you see people in bondage, and, and he held on to him and just hugged him and they cried, broke. And, you know, for a while, I didn't see this guy. But every now and then he would just show up. And every time he would come, I haven't seen him in some years now. Because our church moved from here down the road, from Mr. DIY down the road, and went back here and then we moved to Maranatha. And at least in three of those other locations, he would somehow find out where we were and he would come to me and just grab me like this and just hug me and just often cry. I don't know where he's at today. They told me that he had left the streets that he's not been doing, selling himself anymore. And I, I still hope that that's true. I haven't seen him in a while. But we've got to be willing to deal with hard situations sometimes, to get people out of bondage. Lastly, number six, as families, we must set standards and be watchful of those who live in rebellion. There's nothing worse as a missionary, a pastor, a disciple maker, that when you pour into people and they're just, they just walk away. I don't want nothing to do with this. Well, we have to set standards. People cannot just keep coming and taking advantage. You know, like I said, stealing or, or doing other things. And I hate to do that. When, well, the reason why I didn't like to discipline our children growing up, I wasn't disciplined that much. And, and yet, 
when we were having to do that with our children, I was running the other way. But then after a while, I, had, I realized I had to take responsibility because I didn't want my kids running away from God one day. And then when you discipline people, loving correction, and they don't surrender themselves over to the Lord completely. I want to tell you there's nothing worse in ministry than having people just walk away. It's, it's painful. Because you love them. You pour out your life to them. They have no idea what it is that you do. But let me tell you something. If we don't set standards, we're not called to be doormats. So that's why we preach standards. That's why we preach with creating borders. Because we want people to understand. You know, I, one of the things I love about Maranatha Church when we came, because most of our folks were from Agdal that were here, and there's only so much we as a foreigner could do to help people learn how to grow and mature, but they needed other Filipinos around them who were going to encourage and help them too, and vice versa. I think our group came and encouraged a lot of people in other things. But the point of what I'm saying is, is that it was hard for people to, to understand about giving or about taking responsibility, you know. And, and when I came to Maranatha, people would volunteer and do different responsibilities that needed to get done. But I always saw Pastor Armin and Lebo emphasize how we want to make sure that we take care of our people. That we want to bless them, right? That we want to help them know that, that they're, yes, we appreciate if you want to volunteer, but we want to make sure here's a little something for you. I love that because we're not trying to take advantage of people. We're not trying to put a heavy weight on them and say, well, you know, we need this for the church. And if you're not willing to do it, we'll find somebody else. <laughs> right? No, 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 no. There's reasons of why sometimes people can't do some things. But I want to encourage you. It's awesome to see when people volunteer, like the men who volunteered to make this room look like what it looks like. And, and, and there were probably some ladies as well. I, I, I don't know who all was here. But I was thoroughly blessed to see that, to see the responsibility, the ownership. Listen, we know that ultimately is Jesus who saves lives. Yet when we individually and as families represent the image of Christ, God will use us to save lives. Not like how Jesus saves, but by leading them to the one who could save them. Joshua 24, 15, we're going to close with this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whom, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand up? I just want you to, I want to pray over you, your families, your marriages. I want to welcome you. If you're here and your family's not here, maybe you do feel lonely. 
I want you to know that you're loved and you're welcome here. I don't care where you come from or what you've done. Jesus brought you here. We want you to know you're accepted, you're loved. Listen, if you'd like to just receive prayer today, I want to invite you to come on up. We want to pray for you. Real quick, we're not going to take a long time, but I don't want to leave without an opportunity for people to receive and just have a fresh touch from the Lord today. So come on. If you need the Lord to touch you, I want you to come. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you guys. And maybe maybe you're on fire. You're living for the Lord, but your family's not living for the Lord. We want to see them come to Jesus. We want to agree with you. Praise God. listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. 
To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next time.